0: Hello and welcome to Meathead Hippie Podcast. I am your host Emily Sham, sitting in my van with little Griff looking up at me looking for food. I am so happy you're here. I'm really excited about this podcast. I want to get really nerdy and just clarify all the things and questions and confusion around vitamin D, especially when it comes to winter time and exposure to the sun. But also, vitamin K and the importance of having a vitamin K with your vitamin D and calcium supplementation. This is a huge one. I have had this big instinct in my body for a very long time. We get into it in the podcast. This is with Dr. James Monroe. He is just so wonderful. You know, when you just interview someone and you're just like, dang, this is such a good combo. So he's an integrative naturopathic doctor. He focuses on functional medicine, holistic health, all about education, not medical advice. So just really a beautiful conversation about these supplements, why high quality supplements do cost a little bit more. With Empirica, my supplement brand, myempirica.com, you can always use the code MEATHEADHIPPY for 15% off. I made a huge pivot, a huge change where we first were just taking back plastic bottles like the vitamin C bottles and the vital B bottles, and we were repurposing them, but there's no thing. There's nothing to repurpose those bottles with. The only bottles that you can really repurpose are the tubs. So I made the decision last year to stop all of these supplements that weren't the tubs. So now we have these boxes, these daily packs, these wonderful kind of grab-and-go recycled box, just a very more in alignment with my values as like not producing more things in the world because we have enough. Uh, and if you do get the tubs, the magnesium, which of course is so fantastic, or my BCAAs or even the protein, you can ship back those bottles, those tubs and get recycled credit. So it's just a fun way to really pull together, This all-in-one, yes, we're a supplement brand. Yes, we're going to teach you, but yes, our vision in 2023, maybe 2024, however long it takes, is to also get you access to micronutrients that aren't just supplements, and that includes herbs. And I just love herbs. So those tubs will be used for herbs and remedies. And I cannot wait to see how that unfolds. But this all is being said, not because, yay, Emily, you're such a saint. (laughs) It's because one of my best selling supplements besides magnesium, because it is the best magnesium, it's like, take it once and you feel a difference, which is so rare to find in any supplement. It's such a powerful sleep support, stress support, energy support. It is really important for me to make sure that you all have access to a high quality vitamin D. So I had a D3 K2 combined in a bottle, but these bottles, again, they're not able to be used for anything. They're just look at a supplement bottle. It's like what would I use that for? More supplements, but I can't repurpose those. There's no sanitation. There's just a lot of legality about that. So, I finally have launched glass bottles of vitamin D3 and vitamin K2, and it's MK7 in the in the vitamin K2, which is by far we talk about this actually in the podcast you're going to learn a little bit about the types of vitamin k and why it's so important to have those both together so because there's lots of different recommendations about how much vitamin k in your vitamin d these are separate bottles but you can buy them together that's the only way i'm selling them right now is as a bundle you buy them together they ship together but let's say that you or somebody you know has gotten a vitamin d And maybe it's a little bit of a cheaper supplement or they just heard that from their doctor that they needed it and so they went and got it. Instead of wasting it because it doesn't have the vitamin K, if you need or if you want or desire the vitamin K separate to use in conjunction with your vitamin D until you switch over to this amazing high quality bioavailable vitamin D from my Empirica, please just email me, let us know. We're totally able to make that happen for you because we want less waste in the world. And we want to make sure that the supplements you're getting and consuming are being utilized by your body. And a huge thing is happening where a lot of people are taking a vitamin D quite consistently and not seeing those changes happen. And so I just am thrilled about this conversation. I've really wanted to have it for a long time. If you just want to recap, vitamin D supports your bone, your dental health, your immune system, your cell function, your neurological cognitive health. It is all the way down to your cardiovascular health, to blood sugar metabolism just think about the sun. We are meant to worship the sun. And I hope in some way, in some shape, in some form, you do worship the sun because the sun is our life giver. Think about a plant, right? It is literally about being exposed to that sun. And if you're inside or if you're in a cold space and it's really affecting your mood and you feel really low, there is a reason. We're humans meant to be barefoot in the sun. So this is sunshine in a bottle, but I'm just so happy that now it's in a glass bottle and it's environmentally friendly and, and more in alignment with where I'm going, which is getting rid of plastic in my life and hoping that the world also gets rid of plastic too, because there has been some big moments of how much we're trashing and just shitting on mother earth. And we all have to make this collective change. So it's not Whoa is the, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I do want us to be really informed. And if you need a vitamin D and a vitamin K, go check out this new bundle that I have of both of them. You can use the code meathead hippie for 15% off. It's so exciting to have this. And then just let me know what you learned. I mean, this podcast is meant to teach you. So, what did you learn? What excited you? Your feedback is so helpful for me. I really love it. You, you all. I'm driving around in California with Griff and a podcast mic. So, <laughs> hearing from you, I think I need to ask that. Sometimes I'm sometimes hesitant to ask it because it's such a weird ask. But if you have feedback, if you listened and you learned, it is such fuel to my fire to continue to do this and to share and to just be able to have these conversations and I just, I love doing it and I'm only going to keep loving doing it if it's useful and helpful and supportive for all parties involved. So sending all my love. I hope you love this podcast. Lots of really good tidbits. Tell me what you learned and yes, enjoy um your your final days of January in 2023 with this aquarius sun currently a taurus moon there's just some magic about to happen and one of the final things that i have i can't believe i almost finished this intro without doing this is if the things that i say resonate even if they're sometimes a little bit over your head or like you're just like picking up what i'm putting down i feel very called to gather like-minded people and We have a few spots available in this new retreat that I just launched. It's a micro retreat. It's over the weekend. It's in Joshua Tree. It's March 3rd on 303. So I'm going to link the latest newsletter in all of the notes of the podcast. Just go to that. If it feels like a yes to you, if your heart is like, yes, I want to (laughs) gather with people like this and have these conversations in person and just have an incredible, amazing time opening up and celebrating who we are, but also digging through the shit and finding out our limiting blockages (laughs) and having so much fun together and celebrating life together, then this is for you. Please apply and get on that list so that we can continue to gather beautiful humans like yourself in these beautiful places that exist all across the country, which is the best part of being in this van is how much I have been opened up to the beauty and magic of the United States of America. Okay. Lots of love. Enjoy the show. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Dr. James, thank you for being on Meathead Hippie with us. We are so
1: stoked to ask you lots of questions. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks so much.
0: Where are you based out of?
1: I'm in Orlando, Florida.
0: Nice. Okay. So that makes sense. All the connections with the manufacturer and distributor that we love so much. I am really excited about our topic today, even though I think it'll go lots of different places with all that you know, but specifically vitamin D and K2 and all the things that are tied into our health because of those two wonderful little vitamins and nutrients.
1: Yes, that's a big topic. When you talk about nutrition kind of in general is there's so many facets to all of it. So when you start talking about the way that that D and K start interacting, it's like, it's pretty fascinating. Hopefully other people are into it too, but.
0: Oh man, you're about to school me. I'm so ready for this. So, okay, okay, what what we know, you know, I think, thank goodness for some of these big things that happen that shake people up and get them to pay attention to their nutrient deficiencies, right? So the pandemic being one of them where we really saw, Oh my gosh, we are deficient in these things, and it's not just we're deficient and our life is less optimal. It's causing sickness. It's causing illness. So now we need to care about these nutrients in a little bit more of a day-to-day capacity. Uh, so I think that was a beautiful opening, or like the silver lining of COVID. But as far as D three and specifically how it gets absorbed. I always feel like, you know, there's this hit or miss, like, is it because we are never outside and we're sitting inside all day, or is it because we are not eating enough cholesterol and dietary fat to absorb it? Or is it just that genetically, like in the time that we're in, we will always be deficient in it?
1: Uh, Well, there, there's a lot to sort of all of that. So the sun is where you should get your vitamin D. Uh, That is the gold standard. That's the best way to do it. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting in that you can, you can get sunburned. So you need to be really careful about that. But when it comes to absorbing and creating vitamin D using like the UV light and all that stuff, we cannot overdose actually, because once we start having high levels, then the sun will actually start to degrade the vitamin D. So if you get to that point where there's too much vitamin D in your body and it's all from the sunlight, the sunlight actually just starts to break it down. So it'll keep you at like that peak maximum level which is pretty rad. So in most cases, you don't want to be outside in the sun long enough to do that, especially with fair skin. Uh, That's going to be problematic for other reasons, but pretty fascinating mechanism that our body is kind of, it's primed to do it right and not not overdo it. So yeah, when it comes to uh, like actual sun exposure, uh, I just read uh, uh, some research regarding Boston. So for no particular reason, I don't know anyone in Boston. I've only been there once in my life, but, uh, for four months out of the year, you can spend as much time outside in Boston with as little clothes as you want, just sunbathing, and you will not get as much vitamin D as you need. So you will start to decrease those levels. And so Boston is that, uh, that Northern latitude. And, um, when you start getting into Canada Uh, Even, well, even the Southern United States in the winter months, you're not going to be quite getting enough, even if you're out there. And then on top of that, uh, I'm in, I'm in Orlando, Florida, places like Hawaii, Southern California. A lot of people are pretty responsible when they go outside in the sun and they put on sunblock or their big hats and their rash guards and all that stuff, which is going to protect you from the sunlight, but it's going to stop you from producing vitamin D as well. So we are kind of, our society has made us a little bit afraid of the sun when we're in those really sunny regions. And for good reason, there's a downside to it, but we don't get in the sun enough. And when we do, we're protecting ourselves from the harmful UV rays. We're not quite getting the vitamin D that we need to. So I am, uh, I, I mean, I work for a supplement manufacturer and I think supplements are really helpful, but that is not the answer, right? That's, I like supplementation. If you're in Boston for those four months and those levels are going to decline no matter what you do, yeah, let's supplement. But if I see a patient and they are horribly deficient in vitamin D and we're here in Orlando, I say the first thing that you should do is go outside and then we can supplement to get those levels up to where they should be. But sunlight is, is the answer, really. Um, so using a supplement and the word itself, it is a supplement. It is not the solution. It's it's a supplement to doing all the things that we need to do. So maybe I went off track a little bit, but yeah, we're sort of set up to not have enough vitamin D in our bodies. And we sort of need to do a couple of things using supplements and also with the, the natural right way to get vitamin D in our body. We kind of have to combine those things.
0: That's perfect. No, that was a great Segue. So, also in your practice and kind of just in your experience with vitamin D being coming directly from the sun, which is so fantastic, like all praise the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel as if there is, you know, the layers of like not just lack of sun exposure, but fatty acids and this kind of fear of fat? Has that played a part in it? And does that impact people's absorption or how does that mechanism really? come down to getting the sun to convert to what we use as usable vitamin D.
1: I love that question. That's awesome. So vitamin D is, it's a a cholesterol backbone. So if we have low cholesterol, which is surprisingly becoming more and more, more and more of an issue these days, uh, particularly because of the statin drugs and the cholesterol lowering medications, uh, it was it was like okay if you have cholesterol of 200 it's way too high or not 200 201 is way too high and you have to get it down but for some reason the the normal range in a lot of labs is actually zero to 200 so it's just below 200 good but uh not just vitamin D uh, but like hormones mental health cell cell health is all dependent on cholesterol so when you start getting to levels around like, Under 150 starts to concern me. Under 140 is pretty well researched to be problematic. I have seen people that are on statins and they've been on statins for years and their levels are 120 and their vitamin D is really low. They suffer from fatigue, brain fog, all that stuff. And so, yes, fat is super important. Uh, We can most definitely overdo it. I suppose That's, that's a possibility, but we have sort of swung the wrong way on this. So, um, not having enough fats in our body is a really big one. And then another thing that is super important for vitamin D and often not really over, it's not really discussed that much, it's magnesium. If you don't have magnesium, then that vitamin D really doesn't get activated or utilized properly in the body. And magnesium is another really common deficiency. uh, And that kind of goes back to agricultural practices and there's less magnesium in the foods that we're eating. Um, and, and on top of that, if you're an athlete, uh, if you're sweating a lot, you're losing all of your electrolytes, but magnesium is one of the more important ones. And I've seen that many times, of uh, vitamin D deficiency, and we correct it with sunlight and with, uh, with supplementation, it's just not quite doing what it should be doing. Look at magnesium and add that in there. So wow, yeah, having the adequate amount great. of fats and all of the, all, all of the micronutrients that you need, but yes, fat and magnesium are the the big things that i look at when it comes to vitamin d
0: that's so cool to know about magnesium because this is really where this came from is say i have been told i am deficient in d, vitamin d and it's a d3 so i'm confused because that's what they recommended and they told me to take d3 and i'm t- taking it consistently at a fairly high dose and yet it's still not changing the blood work um so maybe this is kind of the cofactor or the segue to k2 Um, But the magnesium is such a simple answer because of course that makes sense. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. we are so deficient and it is like, I think we can take this two ways. One, which I hope we don't take it is like, oh my God, it's so overwhelming and I need everything and I'm deficient (laughs) in everything. And like, what's the point versus just knowing your body is this beautiful orchestra trying to work with you. And there's ways to kind of get the core nutrients. And I think D3 K2 and magnesium being those two foundational supports that we can give our body. So that feels really wonderful. It's like, oh, that makes sense. But as far as somebody who's not seeing that D level raise, is that because their vitamin D level does not have vitamin K?
1: So those are kind of separate mechanisms, really. Got Um, it. Yeah, vitamin D and magnesium are going to have that type of relationship. Vitamin K, we'll talk about it more in a second, but that's kind of a a different relationship that is also really important. But one thing I wanted to bring up is I've seen that many times where people are taking a supplement, not just vitamin D, but that does happen and it's just not working. So sure, magnesium, think about all those things. But the first thing, what supplement are you taking? Are you taking Mm -hmm. a CVS tablet that is probably bound up Uh, using cheap binders and stuff. The, The quality control for supplements is all over the map. And that's, I'm working with a nutraceutical company now. And the reason for that is just that I saw patients and I'd be like, wow, you really need B12. Your symptoms match up, your blood work matches up. And they're like, I've been taking B12 for 25 years. Oh, no. And we figure out what B12 they're taking in. And it's, it's just a very low quality product. Switch them over to like a methylated B or something like that. Get them a high quality product that is what it says it is and things get better. So yeah, that, when when you mentioned that your levels aren't going up, that's two things that I would think about. Are you taking a good yeah. quality product? Um, which knowing your background, you are. And then also magnesium.
0: That's great. Because it does feel overwhelming and expensive, right? But if you think long-term and your longevity, that there is something really powerful about these being treated as if they are your macros, you know, like your high quality proteins and your high quality fats and knowing that Mm -hmm. high quality supplements do cost more, but they, they go, they are absorbed. And that's why we work with the supplements that we do is because they're meant to be bioavailable. They're meant to be absorbed. They're meant to be actually usable. So Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And then, okay. So for vitamin K, K2 specifically, right? We have, I know about K2, there's MK4 and MK7 for the most part, if you're in the market and you're looking at a K2 supplement, why is this relationship between vitamin D and vitamin K so integral? Why is this so important for these two to stay together and be together?
1: So, well, there, there are potentially a couple different reasons, but we think about calcium, okay? And so that was for a long time, if you have osteoporosis or osteopenia or weak bones, take calcium and that will solve the problem. And research study after research study showed that you can take as much calcium as you want. It's not gonna change anything. Um, The reason for that is vitamin D and vitamin K. So vitamin D is going to, we can get more into the details, but basically vitamin D mobilizes calcium. It kind of gets it going. It helps to increase the absorption of calcium. So if you don't have enough vitamin D, you're not going to be absorbing enough calcium. So in that circumstance, if you're taking a calcium supplement, but your vitamin D is low, you're not doing anything to help yourself. And then once that calcium is in the body, which is what vitamin D helps with, then it needs to get to the correct places. We don't want it on our blood vessels. We don't want it getting into the heart. Um, That sort of, uh, that calcification, the arterial vascular calcification, those are not things that we want as like a calcium score. You don't want a high calcium score. That's where vitamin K comes into play, more specifically K2. K1 has some different mechanisms. K2 does kind of everything that K1 does, but it also does this calcification thing. So vitamin K will essentially usher the calcium to where it needs to be. So it's going to decrease the the, the, uh, deposit of calcium into the vasculature, which is what we don't want. And it's going to usher it over into the bones and the places that we do want it. So if you're dealing with um, osteoporosis, for example, Yeah, you can take calcium that can be helpful. But if you're not able to get the calcium into the body and then from in the body into the places where it's needed, that calcium is not doing anything for you. So that's why calcium in isolation is not something that's going to help your bones. That's where the vitamin D and the vitamin K happen. So if you're taking a lot of vitamin D, then that calcium is going to go somewhere. And if you don't have an adequate amount of vitamin K, who knows where it's going to go? And very likely it's going to end up in some of the the blood vessels and the arteries where we do not want it. So that's right. kind of the, the big relationship is once that vitamin D gets the calcium into the body, now the vitamin K2 needs to take over and put it where it needs to be. And an imbalance can cause high calcium score, cardiovascular issues and so on.
0: Got it. Well, okay. That was perfectly said. So in vitamin K, somebody might be like, well, vitamin K that's in spinach, but K2, that's more vitamin K1, right? So K2 is kind of hard to find. It's like mm-hmm. what people would say is this gold mine of like in the egg yolks and it's kind of cholesterol heavy or in fermented NATO or like hard to find places. So um how would somebody know if they're deficient I guess in K2? Or like do we assume that we are unless mm-hmm. we are eating high amounts of certain food groups. Um yeah, what is it like K2 even I Like, what's the feeling of deficiency, if that's a fair question, or I guess, how does someone know, do they get enough?
1: Hmm. Well, those are good questions. So like in terms of feeling a deficiency, I don't know that you'd necessarily feel it. (laughs) Um, There, there might be some clotting issues and that has to do with a K1 for the most part. So let's say you have plenty of K1 and no K2. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know if you would really notice. Um, but those are like cardiovascular patients with heart disease of some type, high calcium scores. Those are the types of situations we start thinking about K2, but yeah, such a great question. I don't know if you'd <laughs> like, gosh, I am K2 deficient right now.
0: <laughs> well, you can't, you know, like with magnesium, you can learn that. And D3, yeah. I learned that too, especially we can talk about some of the benefits, but brain benefit and just mm-hmm. overall, like. I think it feels like the sun, right? Like when your vibrancy has diminished or you feel a little heavy and low fatigue or high fatigue, low energy. Well, and what you said about calcium has been so, so I had a weird experience. This is like, you know, me as the always investigating weird things happened to me. And then I, you know, that's how we become probably similar to you and your story of like your own healing, got you to where you're at to help other people heal. And I got, so many stress fractures. And it was like, it became a problem where I'm like, I'm way too young for this. I'm clearly missing a nutrient. I think I was 16. And so per recommendation from my doctor, it was take calcium supplementations or take a supplement of calcium. So I'm taking calcium and within one year, which is kind of hard to like, that's also why supplements are hard because micronutrients takes lots of time (laughs) to feel the macro You know, impact, but I started noticing these weird bone spurs and gross on my feet that I had not had before. Right. So it's like all of a sudden I'm starting to realize, well, how does your body know? Like, if you're just taking a calcium supplement, it's going to just put it where it can without really knowing. And that makes so much sense. What you said about D3 and K2 and those nutrients that I clearly was Mm -hmm. deficient in, where it's like you just taking these calcium supplements is just like so. it's like simplifies what we think is like, oh, I'm deficient in this. So I'm going to take this and it's going to solve the problem instead of seeing kind of the complex, complicated, but beautiful system we are. So that is really powerful to make sure that we have both the D3 and K2. Yeah,
1: and- Maybe your next question is going to be how much K2 versus E3, yes. I assume. Yes. <laughs> so the real answer, I don't know what the ratio is, uh, the correct ratio there. I don't know. There is research looking at all different types of dosing. Um, it looks like for K2 to start doing its thing about 45 micrograms a day, um, which is a pretty reasonable dose. You'll see that in most supplements. And that's definitely on the low end. Uh, And then there was some research looking at 90. Okay, that looks pretty good too. And then there's research looking at 180. Okay, that looks pretty good. Now there's research coming out on 360 and how much vitamin D should correlate with that K2. I just don't know. And the the reason that it's not known is probably because it's incredibly individual because of all the things we talked about, how much of that vitamin D is actually coming from the sun versus a supplement. How much are you taking? How much is actually getting absorbed and getting into your bloodstream? uh, What is your baseline nutritional level? Do you have magnesium? All those other things, probably all those factors are playing into the, the reason that that ratio is I don't know what it is. Uh, It looks like at least 45 micrograms of K2 is going to start doing the things that we were just talking about. But there are, uh, I haven't really experimented with those types of doses, but there are definitely docs using 360 up into the 400 range. Um, And really when it comes to safety research, I haven't seen anything that indicates any type of toxicity with K2. So I certainly wouldn't recommend going super high dose for no particular reason, but it doesn't look like that's a a frankly dangerous thing to do at this point. So, yeah, my my like my answer is between forty five and three sixty and maybe higher. uh, I don't know.
0: (laughs) And then the K two, do you have any preference or thoughts about MK four versus MK seven? If somebody was looking and kind of like deciding which K two is right, or you know. Yeah. Any thoughts about even the type of K2? Yeah.
1: So they they both have some some benefits there. MK7 seems to stay in the bloodstream a little bit longer. So longer half-life, sticks around longer, uh, does its thing for longer. So for that reason, I tend to prefer MK7. MK4 is still really bioavailable, gets into the bloodstream really well. And there is some specific research on cancer with MK4 that is not uh, present with MK7. And that we might getting too deep into biochemistry that has to do with the side chain. So the MK four and the MK seven is kind of like that chain. There's a chain of four versus a chain of seven. And that that MK four side chain seems to be the thing that might be having that potential cancer impact. Um, either way uh, doesn't really matter to me if there's some cancer concern that I might lean towards MK four. But when it comes to just getting those levels up in a more, predictable and reliable way. MK7 seems to be a little bit better there, but they're both great.
0: That's perfect. Great. Okay. And then liquid form of D3 slash K2 versus capsule and any thought, I mean, so originally we had bottles of D3 K2, which we absolutely love, except now we are converting from plastic that can't be upcycled. So we're going through this big change and hence why we're so excited about these glass bottles of d3 and k2 mm. they're separate right so learning how to figure out how and this is this makes sense why they're separate is because there was so much research of figuring out what is the perfect level and how much k2 for d3 and how much d3 for k2 and kind of just keeping them separate helped answer all or kind of solve all the problems of seeing them as two separate nutrients even though we want them to work synergistically together um but any thoughts about liquid versus capsule form of d3k2 mm-hmm. and even just kind of moving into dosing and bioindividuality of dosing with your own
1: d3k2 routine totally yeah and um i'm glad you mentioned that because uh, like i said i work for Zymogen that makes all this stuff right and one of the things that we struggled with for a long time was we have k2d3 soft gels um and it's like how much k2 versus d3 and we uh Basically the two most popular ideas, we put those into the formulas. One has 45 micrograms, another one has 90 micrograms. And then we were still getting like, there's too much vitamin K in here. There's not enough vitamin K in here. And just like, okay, let's just do separate. Here's another vitamin K. You can take as much as you want in the liquid form. It's really great to titrate those doses. Um, So that is such a benefit there. You can tailor it to your particular needs. And if you have a high calcium score, or you're concerned about calcium deposition, then you might want to consider those higher doses. So that's kind of an individual thing. If you're uh, osteopenia, not quite osteoporosis, and you want to do your best to get the calcium into the bones, then I might consider a higher dose of the vitamin K2. Uh, and when it comes to absorption, so one thing that I uh, I come across a lot in practice is malabsorption issues with the GI tract. It's super common. Um, it definitely happens a lot because of the food supply and stress and a lot of things. So a way around that is oral absorption. And with a liquid for, and especially these, these fat-soluble vitamins, D3, K2, uh, I if I have someone that is frankly deficient in vitamin D and we need to get those levels up, and there is even a potential, maybe possibly malabsorption issue, I do liquid put it in the mouth and then just let it hang out in the mouth and then swallow it. And you're going to get some oral absorption right there. So that's going to kind of fast track the, the absorption of, and that goes for a lot of different things too. I like to do B vitamins like that as well. Um, But yeah, that is definitely something to consider if there is any potential issue in the GI tract. um, And I actually kind of learned this because I did capsules kind of exclusively when I was first starting out in practice. And every once in a while, A couple months later, we'd retest and like, it didn't move. And I was like, I know this is a good supplement. You're doing magnesium. You're doing all the right stuff. There's not absorbing it well. So uh, in those first stages, I always go with the liquid. That's a really great uh, kind of starting point just to make sure you're getting as much in the system as you can. Then once you have good levels and the absorption's doing pretty good, you're pretty confident in your GI tract, then soft gels and capsules can be good options too.
0: Oh, and then how often do you recommend so with D3 and K2 maybe this is kind of moving into blood chemistry and testing. So when you were like, you know, I, I don't know, it's like it's winter and you're in the northern hemisphere. you kind of assume you're you're low, right? You kind of assume you're deficient. but is that a dangerous assumption? Do you need do you need blood work consistently? What do you need to ask your doctor to actually test for? Is there specific things you know how like a thyroid panel, Is like never going to be what you want it to be unless it's very specific markers. Is that the same for D3 or is just standard blood plant panels going to give you the results or the numbers that you're looking for? Um, How do you kind of navigate that with people?
1: Yeah. So this, I kind of have two different answers for that kind of. And the first is my like clinical nerdy answer And if you don't know your vitamin D level, don't take vitamin D, but that's kind of elitist of me because not everyone has access to testing, but they might potentially have access to a supplement. So I have kind of adapted that. um, But like my gold standard, I don't want people taking vitamin D because you can overdose on vitamin D. I was saying that high levels of vitamin K don't seem to have any toxic levels. Vitamin D does. And there is a too much. So I generally tell people do not take more than 5,000 IU of vitamin D, vitamin D3 a day. If you don't know your levels, that's the, that's the maximum. To be honest with you, I've even seen people at 5,000 get to excessive levels, like serum levels of like 120 with just 5,000 a day. It's not a common thing that happens, but it has happened. So vitamin D, uh, it can be dangerous if you do too much.
0: Is it similar to vitamin A if it's too much? Like that's very I mean different pathways, but you know, we all know vitamin A in excess is like, I don't know, they like put the fear of God in us
1: <laughs> with that with vitamin yeah, A. And I mean fat-soluble vitamins in yeah. general. And that's A, D, E, and K, those mm-hmm. fat-soluble vitamins, we versus water soluble. And if you so B vitamins are water soluble. So if you take a ton of B twelve and your kidneys work, you're gonna be fine. You're just gonna pee out all the extra. Uh, so that is not really a concern. You can overdose on B12, but it's really hard to do because your body's really good at getting rid of it. Fat-soluble vitamins, not so much. Um, so that's why we need to be more careful with those. And yes, A and D are the the more concerning ones with, when those levels get too high. And typically it takes a long time and a lot of both of those to get there. But if you don't know what your starting point is, it, it kind of terrifies me.
0: Yeah. Good. Um, so no, that's I, I love- my
1: first yeah. answer is don't take vitamin D unless you have your levels, but also I'm a realist and, and not everyone's going to go test their vitamin D levels. And probably they're going to just take a test and be like, Oh, you need vitamin D. And then they'll hate me for that, but a hundred dollars or whatever it costs. So I, I max it out at 5,000. And then when it comes to testing, it's actually kind of controversial. The serum test is, I would call it the gold standard. Is it the end all be all? I don't think so. Um, There's a lot of questions as to uh, the the ideal levels. Is it really the best test that is available? Currently, it looks like it is actually, but there's probably going to be something better that gives us a little bit better indication. And a couple of different lab values, under 20 nanograms per milliliter, I think it is, uh, under 20 is considered deficient in most all labs out there. And then sometimes people will say 21 and above is great. Other labs will have between 21 and 30 is an insufficient level. And then anything above 30, typically between 30 and 100 is in a not dangerous zone. I typically look for between like 50 and 70, 50 and 80, um, because when it comes to the benefits of vitamin D above 80, doesn't seem to give you any additional benefit more than 75 but once we start getting into those higher ranges you have more of that that calcium movement and potential for calcification and and potential side effects of vitamin D so I don't want to get there um, but officially that depends on the lab but typically it starts over 100 so I don't want it to go over 100 and really I don't want it to go over 80 there doesn't seem to be a benefit and that is my opinion there are other opinions out there so I don't I don't argue with people about that. If they're like 90 is the best. Okay. 90 is great. Let's do it. Or if they're like 30 <laughs> is the best, maybe I'll argue with that one a little bit, but
0: yeah, right. That's like typically between
1: like 50 and 70 or 50 and 80 is kind of the yeah. top range. Unless someone has just a really strong opinion about it, then, then we can discuss it because it's, it's not, uh, it's not like definitely 100% proven. It's not the best test. Uh, there is some controversy out there. Is is this test really worth it? And clinically, I've seen it very, very much uh, be worth it and definitely helps people. When you get someone that has 20 and then they get to 60, they feel great. The levels look good. So um, it seems to kind of add up with what I'm seeing, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not like 100% sold on that.
0: I love that. Well, it's good too, to talk about kind of lab standards, like what's clinically approved versus like what's optimal for the own human body, you know, Mm -hmm. what's really like going to be effective and kind we kind of went backwards, but can you just brag about D3 and K2? Like if you're, if you are solid on your D3 and K2 blood levels and you're crushing it and you just are feeling good, what are the benefits of that? I, we didn't even really jump into this, but specifically too, with virus, with the things happening in the pandemic, like this immune protection support, as well as mood and energy. Um, is, Is there like kind of a few things that come to your mind when people do get those improved levels or that you just consistently see with these two supplements?
1: Well, it's kind of easier to talk about the deficiency and like what bad things happen when you don't have, right. So, um, the, the worst is typically in children. It can, it can happen in older ages, but it's called rickets, right? So really, really low levels of vitamin D and the, your bones and your legs just don't form. Um, so that's kind of, that's the, the worst in terms of bones. So you're going to see some bone issues, um, uh, less extreme low levels, you're not going to really necessarily feel bone issues, but, uh, like you were mentioning could be bone breaks, you know, stress fractures, those types of things can start happening when you don't have enough vitamin D. Uh, but the, the bigger things, low levels is like brain fog feeling down, just like, it's, it's not nothing, nothing's right. Even like you, everything can be going perfectly on paper in your life, but it's just not right. And then if you see, I mean, I've seen that at like 30, 35, serum levels of 35, which is normal, quote unquote normal. But yeah, you just kind of don't feel right. That fatigue and brain fog is just permeating everything no matter what you do. Even caffeine and stuff might get you going a little bit, but you're just always kind of like have this cloud on you. And then you already said it, but when those levels are more optimal, that cloud goes away and you feel the sunshine. And that's, that's really what the vitamin D feels like. It's just everything gets a little bit lighter. You're a little bit sharper. Uh, and the immune system definitely works better. Uh, cellular communication works better. Um, we can even, we're better equipped to deal with inflammation, those types of things. So you just generally overall feel a little bit better your sense of well-being is um, that's kind of mentioned in medicine a lot of that sense of well-being is much improved with adequate vitamin D levels and much decreased with deficient levels
0: that's perfect and then I didn't even mention this but D3 we you know I kind of always say vitamin D with D3 there's no just vitamin D anymore what's the importance of making sure that it's D3?
1: Yeah, so D2 is still like that's like a prescription version. It's just less bioavailable. I'm not sure why it's still used. D3 is across the board superior to D2 in terms of a supplement. Um, It still needs to be activated in the body, the D3 does, but D2 needs to undergo a few different conversions where D3 is primed and ready. So you have some magnesium and you're ready to go. So basically, it takes a lot more vitamin D2. To get adequate vitamin D levels, then it would take vitamin D3. So when it comes to D2 versus D3, I don't know. I think I might have a a money reason why D2 is still out there, but D3 is just yeah. better. So if if there's ever an option, go with D3. It's much better absorbed, much more bioavailable.
0: Perfect. And then really fast, you mentioned like rickets as the most extreme version. What do you think of? And obviously, this is like so a bio and doctor not to replace doctor advice, but with children supplementing D3, are you seeing that more often? Is that more of a thing?
1: Yeah, it's actually standard of care, really. Um, Low levels of, you know, in uh, it's probably supplemented in formulas that are out there, but even adding it to breast milk is often recommended for most kids. And I'm not a pediatrician, but I think it's 600 IU, 400 IU, (laughs) somewhere in there a day for an infant. So infants right away need it. And, uh, there's been studies showing mothers vitamin D levels is going to impact baby. And there's, there's a lot to that, but yeah, in terms of vitamin D supplementation, it's a standard of care for infants to be consuming at least a little bit of vitamin D every day.
0: I'm so glad we have the liquid now that makes it all a little bit easier. That's for sure. That's Mm -hmm. great. Oh my gosh. Okay. And then having like, you know, you talked about it, but the final thought of like this kind of sunshine thing, this is all tied into the serotonin levels, correct? So this is just really Mm. the serotonin. Is there anything about serotonin that we should jump into when it comes to this D3 and kind of,
1: this is a can of worms here. Okay. So (laughs) you're kind of referring to like the chemical imbalance theory of depression, and there's really no evidence to suggest that that's actually what's happening. So does vitamin D make you feel better because it bumps up your serotonin levels. Mm. Mm. Oh,
0: Dr. Moon, this is amazing. Okay, cool. (laughs) So hit me with this can of worms.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I, I get in trouble for this. But there, this is really kind of well established in in the medical community. Uh, But when it comes to serotonin and dopamine, so like depression and mental health issues, the the idea that if you're depressed, you have low serotonin, and if you're not depressed, you have normal serotonin. It's never been proven at all. It's a kind of a myth. Um, It's a reasonable theory. There's no evidence to support that that's actually the case. So focusing on serotonin levels with depression patients, I don't even, I don't focus on that because I try to focus on the actual observed and research causes of depression which are many for sure and vitamin d deficiency magnesium deficiency tyrosine deficiency uh tryptophan all of these things is it because because they are directly contributing to serotonin it doesn't look like it honestly it doesn't look like that in terms of the research it could be we might see something new that comes out um But so, yeah, that is such a can of worms. Is vitamin D impacting serotonin levels? Maybe, maybe, I don't know.
0: That's, well, I mean, I appreciate that perspective because I do think there's so much emphasis on these singular things, right? If serotonin is improved, then depression goes away, but it's taking credit away from the orchestra that we are, which Mm -hmm. is we are so complicated and complex and we need to eat really more like our food sources need to be so improved. We need glyphosate out of our system. We need chemicals and pesticides out of our system. We need happiness and joy from people and connection and not isolation and technology. Like, you know, the list goes on and on. So I do Mm -hmm. appreciate that because I think so many times it's like, just put it in a box. And then the person that's in the box feels crazy about being in the box. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's just not the right path to just point to one thing and say, this is the problem or this is
1: the solution. Mm -hmm. And in, in this conversation, it's really important to note that antidepressant medications, SSRIs, they help a lot of people. So the, uh, I, I hate it when uh, sometimes this is sort of misinterpreted as like, oh, so my medications didn't do anything because my life sucked before that. And now they're good. Sure. That's great but there's no research to show that SSRIs increase serotonin levels. It just doesn't exist. So it's doing something for sure. And if you're, if you're taking an SSRI and you're feeling better because of it, great, keep going. Uh, but the, the reality is there's, there's more to it. Um, and it's, it's likely doing something different than you think it is. Um, and so I always explore further, but also keep in mind SSRIs and antidepressants, one of the side effects, depression, suicidality, it makes things worse in not at a small amount of people. So if it really were as simple as serotonin is low, take this drug that will increase serotonin, you'll be happy. Then probably we wouldn't see increased amounts of suicide on those drugs. We wouldn't see increased levels of depression, but yeah, just, this is such a big kind of passion yeah. of mine that I, I really, I talk about it a lot and uh, when you when you don't really go into the details, it can really upset a lot of people. And the the last thing I want to do is upset someone that has found a solution with an SSRI. Great. I am, I'm all for it. If, I'm all for anything that makes you feel better. I don't care what the heck it is. Uh, but I'm also a, a fan of getting to the root cause of the problem and actually solving the problem and not potentially hiding it, potentially covering it up with something that happens to be helping you enough to get by. But this big problem is happening over here. Um, so I am not against antidepressant medications. I just know that they're not working the way that everyone seems to think that they work. Okay. That's, I had to say all that. Thank (laughs) you.
0: Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. It's a topic very important and now more than ever for us Mm -hmm. to lean into and demand more research for and more alternatives for all the things. Like we just have to keep putting pressure on that topic and not
1: just saying this is the solution. Um, but oh, it ties thanks. back to the nutrients they were talking about. Yeah. Insufficiencies of vitamin D, of magnesium, for sure can result in depression. Like I said, that cloud, uh, I experienced it myself. I moved from Hawaii to Portland, Oregon, and by December, I was like, oh no, what is wrong with me? And I was someone was firing, like, you have you been taking vitamin D? And I realized that was it and we was back on track. But I was like, I was spiraling and I did not understand what was happening. I was like, my life, everything is happening the way I want it to, and I am incredibly depressed right now. It's vitamin D. Uh, there are definitely circumstances where I could have potentially been prescribed an SSRI. uh, that would obviously not have been the solution. So yeah, I'm always looking at like, uh, if a patient wants to do an SSRI, yeah, do it. And then we're also going to look at vitamin D and magnesium and all this other stuff, because that nutrition is so incredibly important.
0: Thank you. Yes. And I had a similar effect when I was in Hawaii to Colorado in the winter. I was (laughs) like, Oh Jesus. What Island were you on?
1: I was on Oahu. Oh, beautiful.
0: Oh gosh. I love Hawaii. Well, okay. And then final question that popped up magnesium. How do you test for magnesium? Is that possible yeah. to test for so, magnesium? What's that look like?
1: Yeah. Also not the best testing in the world. So there's right. a couple but, ways to do it. Serum magnesium. I'm so glad you asked this. You ask all these things that I'm super <laughs> passionate about. Yes. <laughs> testing serum magnesium is like the gold clinical standard and it's crap. And the That's reason what that
0: it's right? the reason it's
1: crap is because magnesium is so incredibly important in the body that the body realizes it has to be in the bloodstream at pretty strict levels, right? Otherwise, we're going to run into some major issues. So you can be really deficient, but your serum levels are still there because what the body does is it takes magnesium from the places that don't desperately need it and puts it into the bloodstream. So if you see a really low or a really high, like flagged, like red level, low or high in serum, something really serious is happening. So if you drop into the red, you have really, really low levels. So a better way of testing it, not the best, not the perfect way. Uh, Hopefully we find something better, but red blood cell magnesium. And the reason that's better is because it takes a red blood cell, cracks it open and sees how much magnesium is in there. And that is one cell out of however bajillion in the body, trillion. Uh, and so it's it's not going to be an accurate representation of every cell in the body, but it's it's kind of an indication of how much magnesium is in the tissue. And I've run both many times. Uh, there's been research on it too, but you will you will very often see incredibly low RBC magnesium levels with a perfectly normal serum magnesium level. So in a hospital in a in a serious situation you, you need stat labs serum magnesium sure if you're just looking for your how much magnesium do you have are you low red blood cell magnesium is is definitely a better way there hopefully someone comes out with a, a better testing method that will kind of indicate more of our tissue saturation but the red yeah. blood cell magnesium as far as i know that's the best one we have it's it's flawed but it's so much better than serum Serum is in most cases a waste of time. It's going to be normal almost always,
0: because your blood has to be so regulated. Like your mm-hmm. when your blood is off, it's really off. <laughs> you know, like that. That makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, it's like so. We I'm sorry to interrupt, but go I, for it. I ramble. Okay. Um, so like when you start getting muscle cramps, that's a pretty telltale of magnesium deficiency, and so that's exactly what's happening. Your muscles you need your muscles, but you need magnesium in your brain and your blood vessels more. So when we start getting low, it's going to get sucked right out of the muscles, put into the bloodstream. So your serum level will be spot on perfect. And your muscles are going to be cramping because they don't have the magnesium they need. Yes. So that's ca- exactly how it works. And then you just start pulling it from more and more tissues until it can't even pull from the tissues enough to keep the serum level in those tightly regulated ranges. And then you start seeing the serum level decrease.
0: That makes sense. And then the hair mineral analysis. Do you ever recommend that? I know it takes a while and it's kind of a process. But do you have any thoughts about that type of mineral testing? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I I like it. I like it. Um, when it comes, I'm typically looking more so at uh, potential toxicities with with hair analyses. uh, But it also has your zinc levels and magnesium levels. It's hard to dose at least in, in my experience, it's hard to like dose and figure out, gosh, you need a ton of magnesium. And it's more like you need magnesium or you don't need magnesium as opposed to the RBC, which gives you, at least in my experience, it's it's a little bit easier to act on that information, but I've done my own hair analysis for mineral testing. And I thought it was really fascinating. Wow. Um, but yeah, when it comes to figuring out how much magnesium is in your body, I prefer red blood cell magnesium
0: cool it's so interesting when you talk and talk about the testing and improvements it's like part of me is like why wasn't there knows a real thing like why has this not existed where we really you know like there has to be we we can have ai and we can't have like instant i don't know how is that not how does this not exist aren't well, we advanced I mean, that's, enough? that's
1: the reason that they were able to raise however many billion True. dollars because like please let this be real Right. Yes, we need something like that. And we're moving closer to that. We have like finger spot testing for allergies and hormones and things like that. So we are sort of moving in that direction. But yeah, there needs to be some kind of technological breakthrough. That's definitely, definitely beyond my understanding. (laughs) But if, yeah, if I Um, knew, if I knew Elizabeth Holmes, I'd be like, yeah, take all my money. Let's do this thing. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. It all makes sense. I know. (laughs) Jeez.
0: Well, okay. Well, is there anything else that I guess kind of a tangent before we wrap up, that's like, you're nerding out about that. You're super stoked about that. You're learning about, or that you were like seeing a lot of, in this time that we're in that you just have excitement about that you want to share. Oh gosh. I know that was like, I didn't prep you for that. So it's okay. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, you're just in it, you know? And so there's there, things evolve and change and I always want to give somebody a chance who's in it to just like nerd out. Yeah, well, something wanted. that I've,
1: I've I've been looking into a lot is oxidative stress. And that is such a, a major issue uh, that is kind of misunderstood in a lot of cases. So we have like, whenever we breathe in, we we create these reactive oxygen species that are very reactive, uh, as the name would suggest. So they start to interact and, and cause different types of chemical reactions with other cells in the body. And at the extreme, it can start to damage DNA. And this is from, I mean, just like mental emotional stress can start causing this. When you exercise, whenever you're breathing heavy, you're creating oxidative stress. And the normal state of the body is we have lots of antioxidants produced in our body. We consume them. Blueberries are a great source. Uh, But there is often a point when we're not consuming or producing enough antioxidants to match the reactive oxygen species that are occurring. This is a really big problem with smokers, definitely many other things, but smoking cigarettes creates so many free radicals and those reactive oxygen species. And so that's, that's one of the things I've been kind of looking at is how do we get more antioxidants in the body? And there's, um, there's kind of a newer thing, newer-ish thing on the market called ergothionine which comes from mushrooms. It's actually found in tons of different foods, uh, but bacteria and fungi produce it at the highest level. So like blue oyster mushrooms are probably the best source of ergothionine. And ergothionine is directly pushed into the cell and the the body makes glutathione. Uh, it kind of prompts the production of glutathione, which is it's often called like the master antioxidant. So yes. yeah, the thing that I'm kind of pumped out is antioxidants in general, but ergothionine is is like a newer-ish one that's in the supplemental market. Like I said, it comes from food. So it's not like a new thing that we just discovered, but, um, but then, there's been a lot yeah. more research on it and it's it's coming in a supplement form now. So I'm kind of stoked on that at the moment.
0: Oh, I love that. And glutathione is our body's most abundant antioxidant, correct? Mm-hmm. And the, And we can trigger that obviously through Supplements like NAC or some certain kind of precursors, you can take glutathione, but you can also, yeah, get it through food. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can supplement with glutathione, which is it's kind of a little bit more difficult to supplement, and fully intact glutathione can't cross the cell membrane into the cell, where things like ergothione can and NAC can, and NAC is like a precursor to glutathione. That's like a a straight up building block. So the body takes NAC and combines it with two other amino acids and creates glutathione out of it. So the downside of glutathione is intracellular antioxidant activity. It kind of struggles with that, where NAC, ergothionine, those things will produce glutathione inside the cell. And they're both needed, but so sometimes glutathione is a great option, but other times like NAC and ergothionine are really awesome options.
0: It's preferred. Oh, that's great. I was always curious about really, because like liposomal or like liquid glutathione versus NAC and capsule, like how do you, how does one know Mm -hmm. what would be the most benefit? And
1: yeah, well, and so from that perspective, liposomal and S-acetyl glutathione are my favorite in terms of straight up glutathione. And they're going to be really helpful in a lot of cases. But if you have something more extreme happening, I would do that. And I would also do something that produces intracellular glutathione. So that's like your NAC, uh, ergothionine, oh. those types of things. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad I asked you that question. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to learn something. Ergothionine. <laughs> that's, I'm, I attempted to spell it. It starts with a U.
1: E. Erg, oh, ergo.
0: Erga. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that too. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to nerd out about that. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for educating us all on D3 yeah. and K2. We obviously like it's common knowledge, but like to really understand it at its core and feel like I can answer those questions to people asking and help spread that. It's just the more we, we get into those details, the better I think for people. So hopefully all you listeners feel very equipped for from Dr. Monroe, to to you know spread the goodness of the sunshine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. And where Absolutely. can we where can we find you and follow you and learn continue to learn from you?
1: Oh yeah, I have I've have, you know all the socials LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all that. It's just Dr. James Monroe at all of those.
0: Perfect. Okay. Well, I am excited to follow along and keep learning from you. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Yay. Bye, everybody.